It's season two of Home Court Press with Brian Price and McCade Pearson. The Jazz have locked up Donovan Mitchell after he signed his rookie contract extension. Did the Jazz give up too much in negotiations? And we finally have the new city jerseys. Will the Jazz look good in black for the first time since 2003? But first, McCade and I walk through our Western Conference power rankings and talk who improved, who's at risk of taking a step back, and where the Jazz stand as the dust of free agency has largely settled. Stay tuned as all that and more is coming up next on Home Court Press. It's another beautiful Wednesday morning and you're listening to Home Court Press with Brian Priest and McCade Pearson. McCade, the Jazz have been doing a few things this week, signing Donovan, so we got new jerseys released. It's, it's been interesting, the free agency starting kind of to dwindle down. What do you think in general so far from what you've seen? Um, it's been an interesting offseason for the Jazz. First of all, we got to talk about the jerseys a little bit. Should probably stop on a lighter note. Yeah, I like, I like that. They're solid. They're good. But I'm kind of over the Southern Utah gradient um, style they have going on. City jerseys are supposed to be weird and unique and a yearly thing. And we're four years in now, and the Jazz have had one color scheme with it. So hopefully we get something new next year. I don't mind if they're ugly and wacky. Like, I want to go bold and try weird things with the city jerseys. So they're, I like them. They're good. But I'm still ready for something new. I don't know. I don't dislike the new jerseys, but I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I just feel like it's time to try something else. I really liked them when they first came out, you know, comparing them to those late 70s Astros gradient jerseys that they used. Who do you think wears it better? We've got three teams going with the gradient this year. Now, the Jazz are going to keep it to a degree. The Suns are adding it in with their Valley uniforms, and the Nuggets city jerseys are... They look like they're kind of a play on that. Who do you think, if you had to go out and buy a jersey today... Throwing away allegiances as a fan, who's got the best jersey out of those three? I like the Suns because they have some stronger colors in theirs, and it's not completely overwhelming. The Nuggets, I'm not a huge fan of. I said the Jazz are fine. What I'm really interested in, because you know I'm a basketball guy, is the Jazz put uh, the grading in the paint, which is a super cool. But the Jazz haven't had a color in the paint for years because they think it helps Rudy Gobert get away with defense in three seconds, and it helps um, the other team get lost because they don't have the paint as a visual cue of where they are on the court. Just some very, very minor competitive advantage stuff. And now we actually have color in the paint for the first time in like five or six years. That's a little inside baseball for you there, fans. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, out of those three jerseys, honestly, I, I staged this question specifically for this reason. I'm going to take the fourth option. Give me the Spurs Fiesta jerseys. Oh, the Fiesta jerseys are solid. The Fiesta jerseys and the Fiesta court, man. They're fun. You need to own it, though, and go out even a little more in the future. But this is very good Last bit of news and notes for the Jazz came out yesterday on Tuesday that they're going to be allowing fans in to start the season. I was really surprised when this happened. It's only going to be 1500 with priority being given to season ticket holders. Uh, it sounds like they, they worked this out with the Utah Department of Health, and it's they've got the Department of Health's blessing with this. They hope to be able to increase the numbers as the season continues, but... A couple things about this. So I'm I'm a season ticket holder myself, and we got an email about it yesterday afternoon. And from what I can gather, it my first thought was that they would just like almost do a lottery and say, okay, you get tickets to this game, and then you don't get tickets to these four games, and then or something like that. But apparently, what they're going to do 
and this is just based on the email and it wasn't entirely clear to me, they're going to credit everything for this season's games to season ticket holders' accounts, and then you can choose to use that credit to buy tickets that are available for these games. I don't know if I like it or not, but personally... I don't think I feel comfortable going to games right now. I'm probably going to wait for a while. Do you have any particular thoughts on that? No. The one thing that surprised me is 1,500 fans in Jazz Arena. That's 18,306 people. And that doesn't sound that bad, but they're closing the upper bowl and putting all the fans in the lower bowl. And I think that's super interesting and a little bit worrisome. If you're going 1,500 in the entire arena, you know, 1,500 and isn't that bad. But now all of a sudden you're doing 1,510,000. And that's a little closer together than I might like. So we'll see. It's November 25th. We'll see where we're at in a month and then in two months and in three months. They said their goal is to have 18,306 people at game one of the playoffs in May. Um, I don't know how realistic that is. We'll see what happens around the league. And I'll say this. If you're comfortable going to a game and you want to go cheer on the Jazz, great. If you're not comfortable and you want to stay away, great. Um, We'll just have to see what happens. You know, I brought up that same point yesterday. I was at work at KSL when the the news came out, and I was talking to the two noon anchors, Dan Spindle and Shara Park, about it. And Shara offered this little bit of insight, and I and I thought it made sense. I wasn't sure why they were closing off the the upper bowl. Yeah, I was on the same page. If they're going to allow fifteen hundred, let's really spread them out. And she said that could be because of just the way that the arena is set up they they have all the entrances there on the main concourse to go down to the lower bowl and what i think they're probably trying to do is avoiding having crowds of people getting together on the stairwells using elevators and things like that together it maybe keeps fans a little bit closer to each other by all being in the lower bowl but they're not crowding on the concourses and in the stairwells the elevators and things i don't know it's just kind of speculation it's a very complicated issue. Um, and I said, we'll see what happens. And it wouldn't shock me if we got to February and they're allowing 5,000 fans in. And it wouldn't shock me if we got to February and they shut it down for the rest of the season and they're not letting any fans in. So we'll see what happens. They came out, the Jazz did come out with a four step plan and they said the 1,500 fans is the plan for the end of January. And then they'll reevaluate, um, hoping to go up and up until um, eventually stage three is like all season ticket holders to all the games. And then stage four is all sell out for the playoffs. So, We'll see what happens. Things go up and down with COVID. Hopefully we get fans in there for the playoffs, and hopefully it's a deep playoff run with all fans. All right, McCade. So that'll wrap up our news and notes portions. You want to? You ready to jump into these power rankings? Yeah, let's use the term power rankings lightly, though. There's still a lot I'm trying to figure out of what just happened this past week because a lot of players changed teams. Yeah, there's. as I was going through it this morning, there's a lot of things that are undecided. There's a lot of deals that have been reported that haven't been signed, so I'm, I'm having a hard time finding them as I do my research. But it seems like free agency is, is settling down. There's not a ton of roster space open across the NBA at this point. So we, just, we thought it would be a good time to jump into these power rankings, but they are tentative and I think they qualify as way too early right now but you had I think what would agree with the general consensus you had the Lakers at top of your Western Conference power rankings this is a team that they lose Dwight Howard, JaVale McGee, Avery Bradley, Rajon Rondo a lot of name power in that and Honestly, I look at that, I think they are just that. They're names. These are insignificant losses. To replace these guys, they brought in better players at every position. Dennis Schroeder, Wes Matthews, Montrez Harrell, Mark Gasol. I I like what the Lakers have done. 
I knew I forgot one. Danny Green was also part of the Dennis Schroeder trade. Um, but yeah, overall, I think they took a step forward. I have a little bit more lineup questions for them because I am a huge Dwight and JaVale McGee fan. Like, I like having that big center who has that verticality to protect the rim a little bit. And Montrez is a better player than those two, but he's obviously not the seven-foot guard-the-rim kind of guy. And so we'll have to see how the Montrez Harrell, Anthony Davis, Marcus Ball rotation works, especially when you have LeBron James, who's come out with zero four in today's game. So that, it's just an interesting aspect to switch the roles of the big men like that. Overall, I'm still pretty high on the Lakers. I have them not only at number one, but a whole tier above everybody else. Well, let me ask you one quick question. Do you think the Lakers are at risk of suffering a slow start because of the quick turnaround from the bubble to the new season? Maybe. Um, I do think they really bolstered this roster for the regular season, though, and not the playoffs, because they just trust LeBron James to be the entire playoffs. Um, LeBron will be able to sit a few games, and in those games, Dennis Schroeder and Montrezl Harrell both score 25 points, and you'll still have a good chance to win. All right, McKay, let's jump to your your next tier here. You had t- two through six in the next tier, and then we also talked about it off-air. Really, you could go two through nine, but we'll keep it two through six right now. So you had the Nuggets in, in second. They suffered some pretty significant losses when you compare them to the Lakers. They've got Jeremy Grant that ended up signing in Detroit. They lose one of the Plumleys. They lose Torrey Craig. They keep Paul Millsap. They sign Jermichael Green from the Clippers. They bring in Isaiah Hartenstein, a seldom-used center from the Rockets. They signed a, a kid that I I don't know who this is. Um, following Ryan Blackburn on Twitter, a, a Nuggets podcaster and writer, it sounds like he's pretty high on Facundo Campazzo. And then they drafted Zeke Naji and got the rights to point guard R.J. Hampton. A lot of change for the Nuggets. And really the biggest question I have for you, McCade, is do you think the Nuggets have enough left defensively to stay near the top of the Western Conference? We know offensively they're just fine, but defensively could be a struggle. That was a question before last year, right? Um, yeah. I'm not a huge Grant guy or any of the Pumleys guys or any of the Zellers for that matter. Um, but... I think they're going to have enough internal development. Hopefully they trade. They should trade Michael Porter Jr. and cash in on him right now because I'm not sure he ever gets close to what people think his ceiling is. But he's still going to take a jump up and can be a high-usage guy and help this team. And I just think the Nuggets are too good, especially in the regular season, to really fall off at all. They're bringing back the space of their entire starting lineup. Yeah, there's questions there, but I'm not sure the questions are a real concern, at least in the short term, at least in the regular season. The regular season, I think the Nuggets are just fine. But I, in that mindset that I have of making sure you have 16-game players to, to finish the year and get into the playoffs, I just I think the Nuggets have taken a step back. I think they're still going to be a very good team in the Western Conference. I think, that, think they're still going to end up with home court advantage in the playoffs. But I don't know how effective they'll be at, with the roster as currently composed. And I also have given up hope that they're going to come back to earth in late games and close games because somehow they just win every <laughs> close game. And now it's been two, two and a half years, and I've just given up hope that that's like this 100% random thing. They do something to make it at least better than normal. But Michael Green's a great player. He was awesome in L.A. last year, but... But terrible in the playoffs. Nearly useless. I'm not high on the Nuggets, but I'm pretty even on the Nuggets, and everyone else seems to think that they've fallen off a little bit. But I, I do think the Clippers have fallen off. Yeah, let's um, talk about the Clippers. They We mentioned they lose Jermichael Green. They trade Landry Shamet. Montrez Harrell signs with the Lakers. Rodney Magruder, not a, a very big loss overall, but they, they're they able to replace some of those guys. Luke Kennard comes in. 
Serge Ibaka. They also get Justin Patton, a, a wing in in the uh, Luke Kennard trade. They've got a couple of second rounders that they're bringing in, but I I wonder if they've done enough to solve the chemistry issues that they had in the playoffs. Yeah, and you know this is a nice story when they signed Kawhi and you traded for Paul George, and this is going to look great. And last year didn't end like it was supposed to, and now all of a sudden it's November 2020, and Paul George and Kawhi Leonard are free agents in seven months, and. Right now, you have to imagine they're both going to sign with the Clippers, you would think. But come on, it's the NBA. Miami's going to call them up. Dallas is going to call them up. Um, the Lakers are going to call them up, depending on what Anthony Davis does with his contract. And so there's still questions there of, is this going to work? And is there, what's the internal pressure now that you're halfway through a two-year period of win now? So I feel like there's a, a, some minor chemistry issues. Chandler for Kennard's probably a good move. I really like Ibaka. I'm also really high on Montrez, and that loss I don't think is a great thing. And something just feels off with the Clippers. That's why I have them at three. Then this next team, I'm really surprised. This is probably where I disagree with you the most. You've got the Rockets at four in the Western Conference right now. And, okay, they still do have James Harden, Russell Westbrook on the roster at the moment. They've lost Jeff Green. They traded away Robert Covington. They brought in Ariza with the Covington deal, and then they traded Trevor Ariza as well. They were able to sign Christian Wood, one of the, the biggest free agency gets on the market this year. They also signed DeMarcus Cousins. And, you know, I love the DeMarcus Cousins signing because I, I always ask myself, what's the, what is the best thing that a team can do for their locker room when it's on the verge of exploding? Well, you bring in that steadying influence of DeMarcus Cousins. And he's such a rock in the locker room, and you can depend on him to get up and down the floor and play hard every night and never cause any drama. What the hell are the Rockets doing? I don't get it. Yeah, we'll see how the DeMarcus Cousins one uh, works out. But I just love Christian Wood. I think he fits as a perfect center next to James Harden now that we're going away from the small ball thing. And I really think that's a big boost for them in the short term, um, especially – Bringing in Christian Wood and losing Robert Covington, like I think that's a plus overall. As much as people love Robert Covington, but you, as you mentioned, on the other side, Harden Westbrook could be traded tomorrow. This team could be down thirteen, like snap of a finger. So big asterisk next to the Rockets until we're halfway through the season. Harden's not traded. Christian Wood, you're probably right that he's a perfect piece next to James Harden. I just can't imagine a world in which he ends up being a piece next to James Harden at the end of the season. I don't see away the Rockets hang on to both Harden and Westbrook. I think it's more likely than not that they trade both of them. It's a wait and see. Uh, I, when it happens, it's going to be a huge move, but there's been so many reports floated between Philly and Brooklyn and a couple other teams that, who knows? We'll see what the Rockets end up doing. Maybe it's fair to put them fourth right now. I don't think they're going to be in the playoff picture once the season ends. Uh, the next team you've got here also... You've got the Suns at five in the West. They obviously picked up CP3. I think that's a huge move for them. They signed Jay Crowder. They bring in Etwan Moore from the Pelicans. And really, in the grand scheme, they only lose Aaron Baines. But with this Suns team, I don't see it. I just don't see it. Like Chris Paul was able to stay healthy last year, but if he goes down with any type of injury, you're relying on Javon Carter to run that team. And they've already shown that... The guys that were already there in Phoenix don't know how to win consistently. They just don't. I don't care that they went 8-0 in the bubble because nobody was trying to win every game in the bubble except for the Phoenix Suns. They're the only team that went to Orlando that cared about winning every single game in that eight-game restart. 
and it still wasn't enough to get him to play in. Yeah. No, so I have a lot of questions about the Suns, too. I think it's going to work out because Chris Paul is just amazing. I, uh, close your ears, Jazz fans. I actually really like Devin Booker, um, especially if he can just become not 100% terrible defensively, but he really upped his game last year. And the big X factor here is DeAndre Ayton, a number one overall pick. Because if he is, and he shows up this year, and Chris Paul helps him, then that's a legit big three, and they're going to be a top five team in the West. Um, but as you mentioned, Chris Paul goes down for 15 games, or DeAndre Ayton doesn't make a little mini jump, then yeah, this team's going to be a 7-8-9 seed in that bottom tier. I trust Chris Paul to help him win the play-in game and get into the playoffs. But what Chris Paul can do with DeAndre Ayton and helping his development will be the key to if the Suns are a two-seed or if they're out of the playoffs. If I had to pick it today, I would say the Suns are more likely out of the playoffs than a home court advantage team come playoff time. And it's honestly assuming a Chris Paul injury. I don't see him staying healthy two years in a row. But who knows? Maybe he's found the fountain of youth. Next, you've got the Jazz right behind the Suns at six. But this this entire tier, two through six, we already mentioned, is basically interchangeable. And you could include seven, eight, nine in this. Uh, we won't talk about the Jazz a ton because we're going to hit them later. But you know, big Derek Favor signing. They re-signed Jordan Clarkson. In the draft, they, they pick up... Udoka Azubuki and Elijah Hughes. I like what the Jazz have done overall. Um, I, but I think when we when we talk about them more after this power rankings, McCade, we're probably gonna end up complaining about the process more so than who they have on the roster. Would that be fair? Yeah, you look at our little notes here, and it's like they added papers, and it's like, yep, that's all they did. That's solid. Nobody left. That's good. They have a really, really, really strong eight. Um, but I worry about their depth, big picture. You know, if the Lakers lose Avery Bradley for the playoffs, they can still win a championship, right? I'm not sure. Like, if the Jazz lose Jordan Clarkson or Joe Ingles or Royce O'Neal, I think that's a bigger loss than, than other teams. So it's not that their top eight isn't deep. Their top eight might be the deepest eight in the league. Everybody will be awful if they lose one of their top two players. That's a given, right? Like, that's just how the NBA works. You lose one of your top two players, it's not a good thing. But I'm scared if the Jazz lose one of their four through eight guys, it will hurt them more than it will hurt other teams. So that's my question right now, especially with COVID and players can be missing games for two weeks, just like that. Um, the Jazz really, really need their top eight to stay healthy this year. And if they do, the sky's the ceiling. Like, they can win a championship. But they need all eight to be healthy for 90, games. It's definitely a fair concern when you look at this roster. Now we move to seventh in your power rankings, the Portland Trailblazers. They lose Trevor Reza and Mario Hazonia, which honestly losing Hazonia is probably addition by subtraction. They bring in Derek Jones Jr. from the Heat, Harry Giles from the Kings, somebody you and I both like a fair amount, Robert Covington, Ennis Cantor. Here's the big thing for the Blazers and McCade. Let's we're going to start zipping through these a little bit. But who defends the basket for this Trailblazers team? Defense was a problem last year, and I feel like they got worse defensively. Yeah, Canner's not the answer, is he? Um, <laughs> That's Whiteside's an understatement. And Whiteside's obviously nothing like his numbers say he is. But he's also not quite as bad as the general public says he is. Um, but I still doubt he returns to Portland. That book seems to be closed. But yeah, with the Blazers, there's just a lot of front court questions, and I don't like backcourt teams. Um, the Warriors weren't good before they got Draymond Green when Stephen Clay were both super young. The Wizards have never been able to do anything with John Wall or Bradley Beal outside of when I think one or two playoff series in seven games. And so these heavy backcourt teams seem to have a ceiling that they just can't break through. Um, great moves. Rodney Hood's back. Derrick Jones Jr. could break out is what they're hoping for, so giving him the full MLE. But there's questions with the Blazers. I can't quite guarantee their playoff spot just yet. 
Same with the Warriors. That's where I have it eight. Mm-hmm. The Clay Thompson injury. That's obviously just questions. Draymond Green looked terrible last year. Was that because he didn't care, or was that because he started to fall off? That's a huge question that has to be answered. Are they starting a rookie at center? Because that's always a little bit scary. And so there's a lot of questions with the Warriors, but they have Steph Curry, and that's worth something. Well, and the Warriors are another team like the Blazers. Their their focus, their talent is in the backcourt, and when you lose a guy like Clay. You know he's missing two years in a row, but we're only talking about this season. I wonder with him missing this year, is the the Warriors championship window officially closed, barring a major change, barring you know they go out and acquire a Giannis type of a, a talent? Are they are they done at the top of the Western Conference? I think so, and this is where the ethics and question of winning comes into play, because if they really want to compete for a championship. Maybe you see if there's a team out there that wants to take on Clay for the next three, four years. Maybe you see if a team's willing to buy on Draymond Green and see if you can flip them. But on the other hand, the fans love that team. Those are the guys. And so maybe you just ride out into the sunset no matter how bad it gets. So those are some questions they're going to have to ask. Um, if they're committed to this core still or if they want to blow it up, they could get a massive deal done for Steph Curry. But the fan base would lose their mind. And so they do got to figure out where they at on this fork in the road. If they're going to just try and push through it, they're going to try and retool, and I doubt they'll blow it up, but that's obviously an option. I think the Warriors in the Western Conference are the most likely playoff contender to make some significant changes, whether that be at the top with Steph Curry, they try and move Clay or something like that, or in Andrew Wiggins, do they move that contract and try and bring something in? They're going to be a very interesting team all yeah. season, whether they're winning games or not. Now you've got the Mavericks. This I feel like the Mavericks at nine is really low. They send out Seth Curry, Tim Hardaway Jr. still available. He's got a player Can I ask option. You a question? Yeah. No matter who I would have put at nine, you probably would have said they were low, right? Uh, everybody below nine, I, I wouldn't. No, but like, if I were to put the Suns nine, if I were to put the Rockets nine, if I were to put the Nuggets nine or the Warriors nine, there's nine teams in the West. No matter which one you have nine, people are going to say it's low. If it was me, I would flip the Blazers and Mavericks. Yeah, I, I still have a lot of questions with Blazers. And there's some people on ESPN around the country that are like, Blazers are a top three team in the West, and I can't get on that. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. Right. So, All right. No, so, yeah, I have the Mavericks at nine. Luca's amazing, but Porzingis is already out the first couple weeks, maybe months of the season. I love the uh, Seth Curry for Josh Richardson trade. I think that helps both teams a lot. With every team, I know I've said that there's questions. And if Luca goes out for 10 games, this team's done. If Porzingis can't get healthy, we'll see. Their strength last year was their offense and their depth offensively. I'm not sure they 100% have that this year. I have to see if players can come back healthy, how their center rotation is, because they gave them some real good minutes last year. And we'll figure it out. But if there's one team I think could see a little slip and all of a sudden be in danger at that nine spot, it's the Mavs. But we have a playing tournament this year, and so if you're the ninth seed or even the tenth seed, it's all of a sudden like, oh, you win one, two games, you're in the playoffs. There's no, I mean, there is pressure because you want to be able to win one out of two instead of two out of two. But if a team's eight, nine, it's not the end of the world if they can't get up to eight because they'll have a chance to single-handedly go take that eighth spot from that team, especially if we assume the ninth seed is going to be the tenth seed because there's a huge gap between nine and ten. There's definitely a big gap there. My thing with the Mavericks is I look at Luka, and I feel like with a healthy Luka, the Mavericks are automatically a playoff team, no matter what else they do. Even if Porzingis misses a few games or a couple weeks, not a big deal. I think they added a lot of good wing depth. But the biggest thing for the Mavericks is I think they've set themselves up to be a playoff 
team this year. They're not a contender. I, I'm not putting them in the championship conversation, but they're a playoff team, and I think that they're the most likely Giannis destination next offseason if Giannis decides to move. Yeah, I know we're shocked if they tried to move off towards Ingus, um, battling some injuries. I don't know if he ever gets to where they want him to be able to get to. And so if they can trade him for either just straight-up cap space, you know, maybe Porzingis and an asset for a – I'm going to use Mike Conley as an example, but I don't think the Jazz are realistic. Um, but, you know, if they can trade him for cap space or for a borderline star or something, I think they might look into that to really try and get a big three because I'm not sure if they want Porzingis to be the third guy in a big three. And if they can that cap space to go get two guys this summer, then – I think they would like that as well. Because if you can get two superstars around Luka, it's over. All right. We've got the Pelicans. Obviously, they lose Derek Favors, Drew Holiday in a big deal, Etuan Moore, Frank Jackson at the back end of their roster. They bring in Steven Adams, Eric Bledsoe, draft Kyra Lewis Jr. I don't think the Pelicans are any better this year. I think they probably take a significant step back, even with the development of the rookies. I, d- I still don't trust Zion. I have no reason to trust that he's going to be healthy. Do you think they've improved enough or have the ability to improve enough this year to be in the playoff conversation? Yes, I don't hate the Drew Holiday trade. I actually really like uh, Eric Bledsoe. I think it's George Hill there is he in Oklahoma City. George Hill is I, in OKC now. That whole thing like was a huge shakeup. I don't know where everybody landed. No, but I, I like Eric Bledsoe more than most people. Steven Adams is a nice player. Uh, Zion was great with favors and terrible without him last year, and I think Steven Adams can bring that there. I don't know if I love the extension because that's just a long time to commit to him. Um, but, yeah, we'll have to see if the Pelicans are the most likely to jump up into that next tier, but I don't know if they get there. And I, we say this about every team, and I feel like I've been repetitive on it, but they have to stay healthy. They have to keep moving forward, and they have to piece it all together. Yeah. Now we've got the Grizzlies in a similar mold, I think, to the Pelicans. They're relying on their young talent to develop, and they've got some great young talent. John ja, ja Morant, they've got Triple J, Jaron Jackson Jr., uh, and I really like what the Grizzlies are putting together. They lose Josh Jackson. They bring in Mario Hazonia. And just like the Blazers' addition by subtraction, I think the, the Grizzlies are going to lose a few things playing Hazonia. They, they did draft Desmond Bain, a guy a lot of Jazz fans had their eyes on as a defensive force coming out of TCU. I, I see the entire or most of the Western Conference getting better around this Grizzlies team, and I just don't think they're going to have enough to stay in the playoff picture this year. I, and I think they're okay with that. I really respect what they did. They didn't panic and be like, okay, what do we got to do to get to be a playoff team? They're letting the process take place, and they're you know getting another draft pick next year. Mm-hmm. Um, they're fine where they're at. They the way with John everybody, and it was a fun little run last year when they had Jay Crowder and some other veterans, and then they really struggled after they traded those guys and had some injuries. But they're just letting their young guys develop, and they're not making short-sighted moves to chase the eighth seed when they're comfortable being the 11-12 seed, getting another top 10 pick next year, and then going from there. Um, they still have options. Gorgie Dang's on an expiring contract, so they could trade him for a legit piece if the team's looking for cap space on the other side. Maybe that helps them make a playoff push. We'll see where they're at at the trade deadline. But the Grizzlies aren't doing anything to make the playoffs this year. They're still trying to be a really, really, really good contending team in three to four years. So I respect that a lot. I think that through luck, you know, getting that two pick and ending up with Ja Morant, and just through smart front office decisions and roster building, I think the Grizzlies are putting themselves in one of the best positions over the next five years. They're just not there yet, and that's fine. The Western Conference is so good. They're, they're going to be talented teams that don't make the playoffs. That's, that's a fact. Uh, next, you've got the Timberwolves. I think this might be a little bit high for the Timberwolves, but at, at this point, the 
all these teams are probably interchangeable. They really lose nothing. Jacob Evans, James Johnson, Amari Spellman, who? Whatever. Uh, they, they bring in a little bit of experience, bring in Ricky Rubio, Ed Davis, and hopefully he can recapture what he was before the one year with the Jazz. And then the number one pick, Anthony Edwards, a lot of question marks about Edwards. They, and then a couple projects, Leandro Balmero and Jaden McDaniels. This Timberwolves team is going to be focused on development this year. Yeah, and they traded for Ron Schofern and Gomez and Beasley from the Nuggets at the trade deadline. Those are both restricted free agents. They got them both back at yeah. Easton Dales. Um, the Beasley deal's weird because he's having a whole bunch of legal issues, and so he's totally worth four for 60, but uh, he could be suspended for three years tomorrow, and then all of a sudden you're in trouble. But I think the Ricky Rubio trade is really good for them. That guy is a um, – Carol Anthony Towns loves him. Everyone loves Ricky Rubio, let's be real. So I think that helped them get up to compete every night, but I don't think they pull in enough wins to be anything scary. Um, I'm most excited to see how Anthony Edwards looks because I'm not an Anthony Edwards guy, and so we'll see if that works out at all because uh, if that backfires, missing on the number one overall pick will not be good for Anthony Towns' uh, long-term stay in Minnesota. Simply put, I don't think they have enough veteran experience to lead the top of the roster. I don't trust Carl Anthony Towns as a leader at all. I think this is going to be Russell. or D'Angelo Russell, and because those two are your two best players, I think this is going to be by far the worst defensive team in the NBA. I think they made some really short-term moves, and it's not going to work. And now we've got the Spurs. The Spurs miss the playoffs for the first time in over 20 years. They lose Bryn Forbes. They don't do much in terms of additions. They draft Devin Vassell. It's the end of the Greg Popovich era. It's it's coming. You can just see it. And the question with the Spurs is not whether or not they're going to compete for the playoffs, but do they end up moving the contracts of DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge? Yeah, they need to clear up. Yeah, they need to clear their guard line a little bit. They got a lot of nice young guards, but not enough minutes to get the guards. And then, yeah, their bigs aren't great. I like Pirtle. He's fine. And the Mark Soldiers is good, I guess. Um, the Spurs still very much scare me on a nightly basis. Like, when I see the Spurs on the Jazz schedule, I'm going to be like, crap, we need to win that game. But that obviously doesn't mean much over the long season. They won't get enough wins to do anything. And then I got another gap. We don't have to spend really any time on these last two. Kings and Thunder. The Thunder, I have at 15. We don't have time to go over them. But they've done a heck of a lot. So let's start with the Kings. Yeah. They let Bogdan Bogdanovich go. After that whole thing went down with the Bucks, and then the Hawks came in, gave him an offer sheet, and the Kings decided not to match. I thought the Kings offseason started great when Tyrese Halliburton falls to him at, at 12 in the draft. And then, yeah, the, the issues with the sign-and-trade Bogdanovich to Milwaukee, he ends up in Atlanta, and the Kings get nothing out of it. They lose Harry Giles. They lose Kent Bazemore. They lose Alex Len. I, I mean, this is just another case of the, the Kings are possibly the, the dumbest front office in the NBA. They take one step forward and two steps back. They gave Darren Fox a max contract, which, like, I get it. You have to pay him. You can't not pay him that, but you can't also pay him that. And then they did it a year early, which is weird. Like, yeah, I don't know what their long-term plan is. And they just hired a new front office, and I've actually had a chance to talk to their assistant general manager a lot. And, like, he seems like a smart guy, but I don't know what they're doing here or what their long-term plan is. Because they, you know, they drafted Bagley too. They got Darren Fox, who's a great pickup in the draft a couple years ago. And now, you know, he's turned into a max guy. But, like, what's their path to a playoff appearance in the next five years? I don't know. I'll put it this way. I think that, yeah, you have to sign De'Aaron Fox to a contract. 
And I don't mind the Max deal. I, I think he's worth every penny of it. And I think in about three years, somebody is going to get an absolute steal when they trade for an undervalued De'Aaron Fox because the, the Kings are just destroying his value. But I think he's awesome. So the Thunder, we'll get through these guys quick. More roster turnover than any team in the league. They have, what is it, like 17 first-round picks over the next five or six years, 27-plus picks overall. They trade away all their veteran leadership, and they're they're just going young. The, the Thunder aren't going to make any effort to win. Are we overrating all of the picks that Sam Presti has accumulated over the last two seasons? Because... I just so, there's not room on a roster for all of that, and packaging all of those in huge moves is a lot more difficult than people are making it out to be. Yeah, and so it's funny because they just got they formatted their trades super weird as well. So they got two massive trade exceptions, so now they can take on salary even more, and you know make more money that way, more picks. So I kind of talked about this when the Jazz trade away two second round picks for Ed Davis and how it frustrated me is. You aren't, you shouldn't anyway, you shouldn't hope these picks turn into these great players. If the Thunder just draft players for the next seven years and take shots hoping hit the lottery, odds are they'll get a few great players, but they won't ever compete for a title. What you need to do is in the next two, three years, you need to retake those picks and you need to trade for Paul George. You need to trade for Russell Westbrook. You know, you need to make those moves in reverse and go out and trade for stars. And if they do that, they have a chance to really piece some stuff together, keep some of the picks if they can to keep building the rosters around whatever stars they trade for. They just wait and sit on these picks for seven years. I'm not sure these picks are going to be good enough to be able to draft this championship team. Some of those picks, we've got a 13-year-old out in his driveway shooting around, and that's who the Thunder would be looking at in 2027. It's it's a great long-term view that they're taking. There's just not a ton going on right now. There's so much left to change with the Thunder that they're it's almost not even worth talking about. But, McCade, let's take a quick break, and then when we come back, want to talk about the jazz we'll talk about that donovan mitchell extension that was in the news and you made waves on twitter you really upset a lot of people and i, then, I don't know why <laughs> we'll get into that and then just the general question of whether or not the jazz did enough to raise their ceilings and become a championship contender but thanks for listening to home court press and we will be right back Thanks for tuning in today. It's Season 2 of Home Court Press with McCade Pearson and Brian Priest. Home Court Press can be found on any of your major podcatchers, including Google, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. And please, if you like what you're hearing, remember to share, rate, and review so that we can expand our audience. Home Court Press can also be found on kbear.com. Just go to kbear.com forward slash home court press. Lastly, give McCade Pearson a follow on Twitter at McCadep8. That's M-C-C-A-D-E-P-8. You can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter as well at bpriest24. That's at B-P-R-E-E-C-E-24. As always, thanks for listening to Home Court Press. And take note. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Home Court Press. McCade Pearson and Brian Priest here. Now we're talking Utah Jazz. And the big news as far as the roster was concerned over the weekend, Donovan Mitchell finally signs the five-year extension. So he's got one year left on this rookie deal, and now he's got the max extension that the Jazz can offer. Five years, 163. Could be as much as, what is it, 195 or something like that, McCade? Yeah, everyone's assuming the salary cap's going to raise by 3% from this year to next year, but they did say that it's going to raise between 3 and 10%. So if, he sum- if everything works out perfectly, and the salary jumps 10% next year, which isn't going to happen, it could hit about 215. 196 seems to be the probable number if he makes all-NBA. I mentioned before the break that you you kind of 
started some fights on Twitter. Maybe this can be the uh, the fire starter segment that we haven't done for a while. But you had a, a lot of nits to pick. The way the Jazz went about offering this contract, the, the five years doing it now as opposed to in a year after his rookie deal expires, and then what the Jazz gave up. What they're paying Donovan Mitchell, he's earned every bit of it. But Let the me be other clear. Things. Let me be very, very, very clear to start off. Donovan Mitchell deserves a full 25% max deal, and he deserves the full 160, 190 if he makes all NBA money. He deserves all that. There was no negotiation on the price. It was a max deal from second one. I don't disagree with that. You don't disagree with that. I'm not sure if really anyone disagrees with that. Can we make that clear? But, yeah, as you mentioned, there's a little negotiation on some minor – I'll use the term minor details that has, goes into these things. So it's really three things you can negotiate when you just start agreeing to a max deal. Number one is an option at the end. Player option, no option, team option. You're obviously not going to get a team option. That's not realistic, nor should you really push for that. Um but the last seven players to get this deal have all got no option on it, and Donovan got a player option. Okay, but when we look at the other contracts that were signed this year, De'Aaron Fox got a player option, Jason Tatum got a player option. The only guy who got that max rookie extension this year from that draft class and didn't get the player option is Bam Adebayo. No, so the player option, it just scares me. Maybe it's some PTSD from being a Jazz fan. But looking at the last 10 years, we had the whole Darren Williams thing with his player option. We had the whole Gordon Hayward thing with his player option. And just giving these player options when that hasn't been the precedent really is nerve-wracking for what's going to happen four or five years down the road. Yeah, it's five years down the road, and it's something that I would prefer not to see as a Chaz fan. But seems to me that it's more or less just kind of the, the way the NBA is moving. Player empowerment's been a huge thing over the last several years. And players are, are asking for these things. They want the freedom to be able to move. I think that's just what the NBA is turning into. The only quibble I have with the Jazz giving out this deal to Donovan Mitchell and everything they included in it is I, I just wish if he was asking for all of this, it does the Jazz no harm in waiting until next year. Now, people will point out how Gordon Hayward felt like he was offended by the Jazz and, and they played him around a little bit. But Hayward wasn't a clear max guy. Let's be clear. When he got to sign his deal, it was, okay, this guy could be really, really good, but he wasn't a clear max guy already all-star like Donovan. And the other thing is, I don't think Gordon Hayward left the Jazz because of that. I think Gordon Hayward left the Jazz because he wanted to go to Boston and play for his college coach and be in a bigger market and all those things. Um, but, yeah, I get the Jazz fans definitely are worried about that whole Gordon Hayward situation. We'll see where we're at. Um, but also the other thing that's been happening is players are, I don't know how to word this, players are – taking power and taking control a little earlier. Anthony Davis just did his whole thing two and a half years before his contract ended, 18 months before his player option was up. And so you just worry that, okay, well, if that Donovan does that, all of a sudden that's only two and a half, three years away. Like, and then all of a sudden you got to go, 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 and make sure you're competing for a title in 24, 30, 36 months. And so it's probably not a big deal. You hope it's not a big deal. But there's also a very, very real chance it is a big deal. And the window just got a lot shorter because of it. There's two other minor negotiating points. Number one is you're eligible to go from 25 to 30% if you are a defensive player of the year, all-NBA, or MVP. Um, but the teams and players get to negotiate that, and the Jazz just immediately gave Donovan everything that if you are all-NBA third team, we're going to give you that 30%. I agree with that. That's kind of been the norm. Like, if Donovan makes all-NBA third team this year, it's probably worth it to give him an extra 5%. Like, he deserves that. Now, on the other side of things, if that's your logic, 
it's going to be hard to say no to Rudy Gobert in the Supermax because you just told Donovan, hey, if you make All-NBA, we'll give you an extra 5%. And so that's a little bit of a concern. And then the last thing is the trade kicker, which we can talk about a little bit if you want to. The trade kicker, honestly, I think kind of benefits the Jazz if it actually were to come into play. His, his contract and the dollar value each year might be at the top maximum allowable, and in which case the trade kicker basically gets waived. But if it's not, the trade kicker can benefit the Jazz because any team that looks to acquire Donovan Mitchell in two or three years would, would have to account for the fact that they're going to have to pay him an extra, was it a 15% trade kicker? Yeah, a max of 15%. Which is weird because it goes on the cap, obviously. It hits the books for the team that is trading for him, but the Jazz actually pay it out of pocket. So that's a weird little quirk. The Jazz pay it, but yeah, it does affect the cap for the incoming team for sure. I don't know, man. I I think it kind of leads me to the next question that I have, and we'll, we'll wrap up our Jazz conversation with this. Do you think the Jazz have done enough to raise their ceiling and put a championship contender around Donovan Mitchell? Because I know you've you've compared him a couple times today to the Anthony Davis situation where Davis signed the max extension and then demanded a trade two years later. And I think that it's just tough to compare because the Pelicans never put a contender around Anthony Davis. I think that the Jazz are making the right moves, albeit short-term focused moves, but they're making the right moves to put themselves in that conversation where the Pelicans never were. Yeah, the thing I worry about is the Jazz are kind of at a fork in the road, and they need to decide what they're doing. I didn't like the Mike Conley trade for this very reason, but if you're going to go all-in for a championship right now, you kind of need to go all-in. You can't just keep trying to take one step forward and seeing if it's enough. Um, Mazai, when Toronto won their championship, was kind of asked about this, and they asked me, like, what changed? How did you finally get over the hump to win this title? And I'm paraphrasing here, obviously, but he basically said, well, you know, I used to make all my off-season moves, my trade deadline moves, and then I'd wait and see if we were good enough to win a championship. And then we wouldn't be. And I'd go back to the drawing board. We'd make our offseason and trade moves. And I'd wait and see if we were good enough to win a championship. And every year the Raptors kept losing. The media kept getting on them. Oh, they're not a playoff team, all that fun stuff. It's like in this past year, I decided I was going to go for it. We traded for Kawhi, and that was great. And then I realized something in about December. I had the thought, I think we're good enough to win a championship. But instead of sitting on that, I said, you know, you're never good enough to win a championship. And I went and traded for Marcus Gasol. Yep. And I think the Jazz need to do that and realize that it doesn't matter how good you think you are, you're not good enough to win a championship. You need to make one more move to get better. And if you always have that thinking, you might eventually get good enough to be a winner. You might be good enough to win a championship down the line. And I think that's the perfect point. I look at free agency right now and the players that are still available. I think there's guys that are still available on the market that at probably minimum deals could help the Jazz. Why is someone like Nigel Williams-Goss still on the roster and hasn't been replaced by one of the, the point guards that are available? Shaq Harrison is someone we've talked about repeatedly. I've had my eyes on just the size. You know he can play in the NBA. And Nigel Williams-Goss has shown that he's a roster placeholder. Great guy. I have no problem with Nigel Williams-Goss, but he's not an NBA point guard, and he's never going to be. Uh, there, and then there's some other availability. Nick, Nick Batum is somebody who has come up. Would Nick Batum be more useful than George Niang, whose contract guarantees tonight, I believe it is, if he's on the roster past yeah, midnight? And, and you're fine having Niang be your 11th, 12th guy, even 9th, 10th guy. Yeah. But can you upgrade it? Sure. Yep. Can you upgrade Mike Conley? Sure. Can you upgrade Boyan or Julian Gold or Royce or anybody? Sure. And so just looking at those paths goes a long way. Just keep basically keep the pedal to the metal and keep getting better. Instead of just signing Derek Favors and be like, okay, I think this is it. Let's see what happens. 
I, and I think that's that's the big difference. Is it feels like the front office right now is satisfied with their offseason when I I don't think that they should be done. Have they done well? Yes, I think it's been a good offseason for Dennis Lindsay and Justin Zanuck and Quinn Snyder and the coaching staff. But have they done everything they can? That's where I have my questions. But time will tell on that. Who knows if, they, if they've actually folded their arms and said that we're done? Or are there going to be trades that they're looking at? Are there still going to be free agent acquisitions? Are they going to get involved in the buyout market where they haven't done in previous years? Still a lot to be seen from this Jazz team. But, McCade, we'll start wrapping it up. Where can they find you on social media? You can find me at McCade P8. That's M-C-C-A-D-E-P-8. I've been tweeting out cap sheets all week. So that'll be fun because uh, – as you mentioned, the Jets have a lot of non-guaranteed guys. He ain't guaranteed this week. I think Rajon Tucker guarantees on Sunday. So that'll be kind of the first key because he's on the border of the roster. And he guarantees earlier than everyone else. Everyone else guarantees in, like, February. Um, so that'll be kind of the first key to see if they keep Rajon Tucker this weekend. But a lot of non-guaranteed guys where you can rework the end of the bench and go for the Jeff Green type. Not that Jeff Green worked out, but you can. there's, as you mentioned, players out there the Jazz can swap in for these non-guaranteed players. And so we'll see what happens there. And you can find me, Brian Priest, on Twitter at bpriest24. That's at B-P-R-E-E-C-E-24. I've actually been active on Twitter this week. It's kind of a wild experience. And if you like what you're hearing with the podcast, Home Court Press, please take the time to share, rate, and review it so more people can find the show. As far as what we've got coming up between now and the beginning of the regular season, just give you an idea of this. We're going to keep doing the Wednesday shows every week until the regular season starts. Hell, we might even keep doing them once the regular season has begun. Uh, but next week specifically, we're going to do this same type of a show, but we'll do an Eastern Conference preview with my power rankings. And then for the Jazz conversation next week, McKay, I, I kind of want us to take a look at the, the Jazz lineup and their, the minutes per game conversation. I saw you put something on there that you had created on 2K as far as what, how the minutes would be distributed for this Jazz roster. And I think that's a worthwhile conversation to, to see what type of guys we can depend on. And then I've also got set up with a couple other friends of mine. We we used to do a, a podcast called Name Change Pending, and we're going to do divisional previews for the entire league. Um, we'll, we'll start recording those and putting them out about 10 days before the season starts. We'll finish that with a final playoffs and championship and individual player award prediction show. So a lot to look forward to with Home Court Press. We've got some good things coming up. But, McCade, that gets us now. I think it's time. Let's talk some NFL. I don't really want to this week. You went 3-0 and and I went 0-3. You finally did it. You've closed the gap. On my back now, one. You are one and a half back. Oh, you were right in the thick of it, man. I'm so proud of oh, you. Jesus. I think did I call that last week or that two weeks ago? I said I was gonna go three, no, no, and three. It was two weeks ago. Eh, time difference delay or something, right? <laughs> yeah. All right. Exactly. Does that mean I get to go first? You're up first. All right. Let's go Monday night. Um, Seahawks got to get back on track a little bit. They've kind of struggled the last few weeks. Picked up some nice quality wins. Beat the Cardinals week and a half ago on Thursday. I think they go into Philly and cover the spread. They're favored by six. So give me Seahawks minus six at the Eagles. Okay. Uh, my first game this week, I've got the Raiders. Raiders continue to look good. They've given the Chiefs probably their two toughest games this season, and I think the Chiefs are right at the top of the league. So they're heading down to Atlanta, and I've got the, the Raiders minus three in Atlanta over the Falcons. Okay, let's see. I don't mind that pick. Let's go. Let's go Giants in Cincinnati. So 
So the NFC East is just awful, right? Um, I just brought up the Eagles, the Red, uh, the Washington football team, and the Cowboys play on Thanksgiving. And basically all four teams are tied for the division lead at 3-7. and seven. The Eagles have their tie. It's kind of keeping them up a little bit. But I think the Giants get things going and make a late-season push for the playoffs. Minus 5.5 in Cincinnati. Yeah, that's... That's going to be an interesting to watch. I mean, Cincinnati—they've been—they've been a team that could score all year, and now they've lost Joe Burrow. So I—I I do expect the Bengals to fall off. I just have a hard time putting faith in the Giants, but that's not a bad pick. For my second pick, I've got a AFC East team, one that we've talked at great length about over the last couple of weeks: the Dolphins, going into New York, facing off against the Jets. Dolphins at minus seven. They really laid an egg in Denver. I was happy to see it as a Broncos fan, but it was surprising based on how well the Dolphins had played the previous month or so. I think they get back on track. Minus seven over the Jets in New York. And I'm going to go with one more primetime game. It's not my Packers to beat the Bears, which Eastman doesn't have a spread on them right now, and I don't know why. Maybe there's a COVID case or something. But 10-0 Steelers have looked shaky at times. The Ravens are all of a sudden 6-4. and four and has a few speed bumps. I think the Ravens have to get back on track. I don't think they beat the Steelers, but I think they at least compete enough because they need this win so bad to not lose by five and a half. So give me Baltimore plus five and a half in Pittsburgh on Thursday night. I like that one. I thought about going that direction. The reason why I didn't is the Ravens have a ton of COVID issues going on. I'm really surprised there's they a do. line All for it. All the running it. backs are out. Because it's, it was almost sounding like yesterday they might either cancel or move this game from Thursday night. So I I don't know. I, but I do like it. I, I think you're you're right on track with the Ravens. Have to, have to get going. So my last pick is going to be I've got the Vikings. They've. They've been so inconsistent this year. They're the epitome of a team that's led by Kirk Cousins. Uh, the Panthers are heading up to Minnesota, taking on the Vikings. And I thought the Panthers looked pretty good last week with P.J. Walker as their starter. And now they should have Teddy Bridgewater, Teddy Bridgewater coming back. So give me the Panthers actually getting four points against the Vikings in Minnesota. So Panthers plus four. Yeah, defense looked good. Yeah, they're, they're impressive. So recap your picks for us, McCade. So I got Steelers Ravens taking the Ravens plus five and a half in Pittsburgh. I got the Giants uh, plus three and a half, minus three and a half against the Bengals. And then Eagles Seahawks on Monday night, giving the Seahawks at minus six. And I've got the Raiders going to Atlanta minus three. Dolphins giving up seven points to the Jets in New York. And the Panthers getting four points from the Vikings in Minnesota. So it should be fun. You are one and a half games back right now, McCade. I'm I'm looking to increase my so, lead once again. We talked about doing this until the Jazz even started, but we're going with it further than that, right? Yeah, we'll just finish the this season. We might as well. Hey, okay. are we going into the playoffs? Are we doing three, three, two, one for the playoffs if necessary. Um, yeah, let's let's include the playoffs. But we'll pick every playoff game. We're going to do all six for the wild card round. It's going to be great. That's a, that's a chance to make up some ground. All right. Well, that'll wrap us up for Home Court Press. Had a great time doing the show. Remember, if you, you do like listening to Home Court Press, please share, rate, and review the show so more people can find it. McKay, do you have anything else for us? Training camp starts this week. There's no September this year. We're straight into October, 10 days after free agency starts. Real basketball jazz fans, take note.